0: Thanks for stopping by. I'm Cory Edwards. Uh let me uh let me paint you a picture here. I'm at a convenience store like a gas station style little convenience store and there are maybe 5 people in line for the one register and we're all distancing these days. I get it, but uh, as people move up to the cash register, the guy in front of me doesn't move. Like he's two people away, and then two people away from me uh, uh, move up to the register, and they and, and now now it's somebody standing at the register, the guy eight feet away from the register, and me behind him, and. Um, I don't know what this says about me, but that it was driving me nuts. It was driving me nuts. I almost want to put my finger on the guy's back and just start pushing him forward. I was like, I was like sending little mind bullets, as Jack Black says. I just put sending out little mind bullets to him, just going, just please step forward, just move forward, just move forward, just move forward. It doesn't even look like we're standing in line now. It looks like you and me are standing in the middle of the store, far, far away from the register. Like we're, anyway. So then the guy in front of me finally goes to the register and I get on up there four feet away from him. Like, let me tell you how it's done. I don't know what that is in me. It's like the rule keeper in me or something. Like when people don't know how to stand in line, when I walk into a Starbucks and it is clearly marked off where the line is and it's different in every Starbucks. There are little stanchions. Yes, that's what the metal poles are called, stanchions. You got a little stanchion. It's like a little movie theater line, you know, when you walk into a Starbucks. You got the stanchions there. They might even have a teeny tiny little metal sign that says, line starts here. And uh, I go in there and I assess the situation and I become a part of it. This is where the line is. And then somebody get, comes in after me and walks right up to the register or stands perpendicular to the line. I got to tell you guys, I feel like throwing to-go cups at their head. I uh, So I don't know what that is about me. I just thought I'd share that. When you're out in public, guys, please just, you know, it's standing in line. It's a life skill. If you walk into a store and you don't know how to move the line along, uh, there are some OCD uh, people uh, that that uh, need at least the illusion of progress. When each person moves, we got to move the line along. We got to move it along. I'm not saying I'm OCD, but I definitely got some of that in me. I do. And uh, I think that that maybe uh, has been in my creative life, if I can segue here uh, to what we're going to talk about today. My creative life um, has suffered from perfection. Um, and so there, somewhere between perfection, which can eat you alive and, um, just not giving a crap somewhere in between there is where I think we need to be as creative people. If you are creating or doing any kind of job, I feel like the work ethic has really, uh, fallen short in this country. And I'm sounding like an old man whittling on my porch. Uh, but I think that it has, um, uh, you know, so I, I was a perfectionist for a while. I've loosened up a little bit. I think that I watch um, certain creators, certain musicians, or even filmmakers who say, you know what, at a certain point, um, well, my wife Vicki had a boss, uh, shout out to Pat Judd. He used to have this great phrase that we say to this day, better than good, it's done. And that sounds like you don't have any quality control. But what it means is you can't let the perfect version of something eat you alive and keep you from finishing the project. Better than good, it's done, and you have to assess how much money is being spent on this project. How much time should I be spending on this project? And then you then you uh, back off a little bit. Um, but the other side of that is is uh, good quality. You want good quality in everything that you do. An example of that is that I've had many young filmmakers. Uh, Send me stuff stuff they've had on youtube or they want to engage with me. They want my comments And this was years and years ago. I had one guy that man He uh stuck to me like glue for many years He would send me stuff and I was trying to be kind I believe he was just out of high school And he started to send me stuff He sent me a link to his website and what he was proud to say is i've made 30 films And I was like, well, let's take a look at these films Some of these films were 20 seconds long some of these films were he and a friend uh, chasing each other through a park, uh, not even bothering to put costumes on um, with some music over it. Or so, some of it was like uh, he's in his garage, it's a forced foreground miniature situation, and he has a big plastic alien figure that's in the dark rising up in front. And then he screams, and then the camera falls over. I, I gotta say, uh, you know, pardon my French, really half ass stuff. Uh, really just like. And, and and the caption underneath each one of these 30 films on his website was, um, I made this one in 90 minutes. I shot this one in an afternoon. I shot this one in a half an hour. Uh, uh, it didn't cost me a dime. Um, this one I spent $3 and I shot it uh, on my Saturday morning. And I had to finally say, yeah, I can tell. I can tell. And don't be proud of that. Um And I sent him a long email. I finally took the time to say, listen, man, um, I love your enthusiasm, but I would challenge you now to take six months to make one film that is maybe eight minutes long and make it great. Make it amazing. Make it the one thing you show people for the next year. Take it to film festivals. Um, Take everything else off and put this one thing up and really make sure the music is great, and 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 that you've got like really cool lighting, and uh, I don't know, uh, actually put a costume on if 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 the guy is a ninja. And uh, he ghosted me. He, I think he sent me a terse comment and ghosted me and went away. And good riddance, um, because I think that as a creator, uh, I just talked about perfectionism, but the other side of that, the the dark other side of that coin, is. That you want to show people that you didn't try that hard. And I think that that is maybe protection against rejection. Some rejection protection. Some rejection protection. If you have rejection protection, you must go to another section. I'm going to stop rhyming right there. Um, but uh, so, so do, do whatever you do with quality. Now, I know that some of you maybe are going to go to my YouTube page where I make uh, funny little uh, sketches. And um, you're going to throw that in my face. But let, let me tell you what. That's not what I do for a living. The, the the YouTube sketches I do. If you want to go to uh, Corey Edwards' funny stuff, I think is what it's called. Um, that that is where I have promised myself, much like this podcast, uh, that this this is something short and temporary and for fun, and I cannot get swept up in my perfectionistic uh, quality uh, um, quality obsessions. So like uh to, to to give an example, I play Lando Calrissian in one sketch with a piece of duct tape on my lip uh, for the mustache. Um so so it's it's really uh uh I didn't want to put too much effort into it so that um it wouldn't eat me alive and become my my main focus because I don't think I should be putting all my time into that. Then what is my focus, my career or my creative uh, project that I, I I literally get out an Excel spreadsheet sometimes and rank the priorities of what I should be working on. And when the things are at the top of that list, that is where you I don't let it out of my uh, hands till I think somebody's going to read it or watch it and say, wow, Hang on, let me call this guy back. Hang on, yes, I will take a meeting. Um, so I just wanted to give that short intro because my guest today, um, he is a funny man. He has done improv, and a lot of times improv is off the top of your head. But when you see an improv comic, you are seeing uh, years and years and years of work in one moment on stage, and that is high quality. And uh, I also bring all this up, this topic up, because uh, we, we talk about it very briefly, but I want to highlight it again. Uh, Joel McCrary, as my guest, he is one of the creators of one of the one, it's a musical that i i i i can't think of another musical project i've seen that i've had more fun watching and i've seen it like 3 or 4 times while they were doing it it's called fellowship exclamation point and it is a musical parody of lord of the rings and when you go to this show when i went to the show i'm thinking well there's a bunch of comedians they put this show together it has music in it and it is a parody Uh, You know, I I did not expect the quality that I was going to see in that the songs, and you can still go find the soundtrack to Fellowship. The songs are really good, guys. They're really good. There are moments in the story, while they're making fun of Tolkien's story, they are still pulling on your heartstrings. By the end of it, there are the ends of some of the songs and some of the scenes where you are feeling an emotion. And you're like, oh my gosh, Sam and Frodo, I hope they make it. You know, and and so you're laughing, and it is a comedy and it is a musical theater uh, that I saw in a small, you know, uh, 99 seat theater. But I was inspired and moved and excited to tell other people about my friend's show because of the quality. So even when you do something that is a parody or is kind of a lark or kind of like a, hey, this is going to be, you know, Uh, My my next thing to get attention, just make sure that even when it's um, a parody or comedy, that you do it with quality. And that's what Joel really taught me in that moment when he had uh, a big spotlight on that show, was that it was not just a lark. It was he put his everything into it. And that's something that I think the best creators that you remember, that you go back to time and again, uh, uh what we all desire what I desire as a creator is uh, when you go to see anything I do it doesn't matter what medium it is or what genre it is um, I would love to be associated with quality so that when you go to me as an artist you go oh my gosh well I don't know what this is and I have artists like this you have you have fam- favorite artists that you go to I don't know what this is but I know it's going to be good and that's the stamp you want to put on your stuff. So just do things with quality, but don't be a perfectionist. So that's my weird fence I'm walking today uh, here on Thanks for Stopping By. And now let's, let's get to our guest because uh, we have just a, a, a big, long, full conversation. And boy, Joel has some amazing stories. So I don't want to delay. Let's get to it. <laughs> My guest today is a funny man. He started as an actor and a comedian and an improv comedian, and you have probably seen his face or heard his voice in dozens of things you enjoy. He has turned that into so much more, and so I wanted to talk to him. My old friend, my good friend, Joel McCrary. Well, howdy. howdy (laughs) Howdy-do. Is that one (laughs) of the voices you do? Well, it is, (laughs) apparently. it's the friendly Southern gentleman,
1: well, how are y'all doing today? It's awful good to hear your voice <laughs>
0: i almost see the mint julep in your hand that's right <laughs> um I have to say first of all before we get into all the things you've done like i I want to I think I've told you this story you you might not remember it as much as I do the day we met oh a- friend of mine, Tony Leach, he was going to a comedy show, an improv show, and you were there seeing some of your friends. You weren't in the show. He said, I'd like to introduce my friend Joel McCrary. He's a character actor. You've seen him in some stuff. And um, as I don't know if uh, our listeners know this, but a lot of character actors, you see the other character actors that are kind of your type a lot in, in auditions. Right. You all know each other. Yeah. And so I was like, hey, I have seen you in some stuff. Uh, I think I just saw you in Dharma and Greg and, and you said, no, no, that was Jeff Garland. Like you go up for a lot of things. Jeff Garland goes up for. Right. right. And I, and, and then I said, are you sure? <laughs> like what, wh- what am I saying? And you go, yeah, I'm pretty sure it wasn't me. Like I, like I'm, I'm like, are you sure you know what you've been in? I don't know why I said <laughs> that, but it says a lot about you that you wanted to be my friend uh, after that. <laughs> well, I don't think I
1: remembered it otherwise I probably wouldn't have
0: uh, been your friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, um and I think that at that time the I, it, you said it's been a good year because the moment I met you you had just appeared in American Beauty, a little film called American Beauty.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yes, a, a small role in a big movie. Yeah, but, but I, mean, I did it was I, I, well he is pivotal uh for sure he fires uh, uh West Bentley um and uh but I did for that film because I was in it even though it's just a few lines uh I did win a SAG award uh as part of the ensemble because it won best ensemble cast oh, and God. uh so I have a SAG award
0: because of that That's awesome Now I didn't yeah. get the statue I just have a letter <laughs> Yeah that's that's uh that's pretty cool. Well, like it is the life of a character actor that you started out with. Well, I mean, and before that, you had done just years and years of improv comedy, uh, down right, in Florida, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Started in Orlando. I, I really considered working with that company uh, in Orlando my graduate school.
0: Well, and those are still Work. friends. You're friends with those people to this day, right? Really oh yeah, a group of friends,
1: absolutely, lifelong friends for sure but I was part of SAC theater, which was subcontracted. And we did the street theater at Epcot center and, in the UK pavilion and the Italian pavilion and a couple other places here and there. Um, and so that was the company that I worked for. So I was never officially a Disney employee, uh, yeah. but we did those shows. And, uh, the way that happened was when I was 16, I was there on vacation, saw those shows. And I just, I, just thoroughly enjoyed them because what it was is they would tell classic tales like Romeo and Juliet or Robin hood. And you would have, you know, two or three actors that were the dressed in Renaissance garb, uh, basically the storytellers. And then we would pull unsuspecting people out of the audience to play the main characters, Romeo and Juliet. But, you know, we'd pull out a couple of senior citizens. (laughs) you know robin hood uh or you know in the italian the menace of venice uh and uh just pull people out and kind of guide them we would tell the story and then put them on the spot you know for suddenly he broke out singing his favorite italian song too you know we would look at him and 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 you know style to him with our with our hands and and then they would be on the spot and they would do something and then the audience even if what they did was terrible the audience would love them because they were trying and um <laughs> kind of w- the one of the main things i learned doing those style that style of show was how to scan an audience and pick somebody who's going to be fun to play with somebody um, who's fun but not trouble right you don't want the person that is raising their hand and wants to be picked. They're going to be trouble. They're going to try to be the funny one and be the star. And they're going to try to take over. You don't want that person. You want the person who secretly wants to do it, but. <laughs> yeah. Know, and, right. And so, so they're, they there's, they're, they're kind of like, Oh, that looks like it'd be fun, but Oh, please don't pick me. Please don't pick me. And then you pick them and, and they were always, uh, the best and it's interesting because you would think oh the person who's game and wants to be part of it is going to be the best but it, it actually yeah it, it there there was a real art form depicting your audience members
0: uh, yeah I, and i bet and never a, the same day twice and you you called it your graduate school yeah um it just just because you had challenges and and learned a lot i'm sure
1: yeah well i think yeah because i learned so much well and early 20s are such your formative years Um, and it really was kind of a dream job uh, because I didn't know it at the time Uh, improv Um, as a kid uh, you remember the old Carol Burnett show and uh, Tim Conway would always go off script and start improvising and doing stuff and cracking the other actors up that was my favorite favorite (laughs) thing in the world and really what (laughs) made me want to be an actor and so Doing this show, these shows was a great intro into doing some improvisational stuff because they were scripted, but you never knew what the audience member was going to do. So you also had to be loose and able to roll with it. And then a lot of the actors that did those shows uh, did improv shows and I would go and see their improv shows and then ultimately ended up performing, doing improv, making my living doing that uh,
0: when we opened our own theater
1: downtown Orlando.
0: And then a lot of you made the move to Los Angeles. I think that's where I I saw you do a lot of shows there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I moved, uh, I made the decision to move to LA. um, And I I guess that was like 94-ish, and then I moved out here 95. And then 96, there was a big influx of the people I worked with, and we reformed and became uh, an improv group out here. And we performed together for, I don't know, some 10 years or so. Um,
0: And there are other members of that group that, that pop up in commercials or bit parts in sitcoms that, that, you know, if if anybody saw their faces, they'd be like, Oh, Oh, wait a minute. It's that guy. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, I
1: mean, there's uh, one or two that are, that are, one in particular, very famous, another that's semi famous, another that's writing uh, screenplays and has had movies produced, and uh, you know, some, yeah, yeah. uh, yeah, worked, w- yeah, A- and you know, some people who have kind of gone on and done other things and aren't in the business anymore, but still the most talented, you know, people that, that I, I got to work with. I was really fortunate, the improv group that we had, um. You know, at, at at the height of our popularity, and when we were re- performing together regularly, I would have put us up against anybody in the world uh, for the quality of improv we were doing.
0: Yeah, you guys were pretty lethal, and 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 the famous uh, that you speak of is Mr. Wayne Brady, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, we've all heard of him and i i i had the 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 luxury of seeing one of your shows like pre wayne brady's stardom so everybody was still kind of like going out and doing auditions including wayne and and it 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 was it's kind of cool to know that i saw him just clowning with you guys before he became right. kind of a name and right. but you could see it then it 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 made total sense that he was going to go someplace oh yeah oh yeah yeah um, extremely talented yeah and then and then you um, I, I gave you a shout out about American beauty, but the other one that guy I, I always get a big kick out of and this is at a time when you're just doing bit parts and stuff you're in uh, mystery men yeah. <laughs> yeah. so you got yeah. to work with uh, Ben Stiller and uh, I, I weren't you you're a police cop in that and you're kind of hauling are you hauling Ben stiller away at the end?
1: no we're, uh,
0: it's me and another
1: cop um, funk and McGuire. <laughs> uh, which I thought deserved a spinoff. Um, did you come up with a whole backstory? And uh, <laughs> no, they, they were just giving, uh, uh, yeah, it was Ben Stiller, Hank Azaria, and um, uh, oh shoot, uh, what's his name on Unsh- he's on Shameless uh, now, um, William H. Macy, yeah, William H. Macy, the three of them, you know, and so we're cops and we call them wannabes and make fun of them, and um, uh. It, yeah, it's it's a great little scene. Uh, but the the thing that's a little disappointing about that movie is there was supposed to be another scene at the end uh, when they are the heroes and they come through that, you know, Funk and Maguire are there and they kind of give them, there's like a little scene where they give them their props. Um, but that got cut because the movie was going so over budget. Um, so That was your arc. You needed your arc. Yeah, yeah. We had a little arc. We had, you know, Uh, this one scene where to make fun of them. And then at the end, it's like, all right, you guys are all right. You are heroes. And (laughs) we never got that payoff. And I I was always disappointed that that uh, didn't come through. And I was like, why? What happened to the other scene? And they said, yeah, "Yeah." Uh, the movie is so over budget that they just were like, edit what you have and try to make it work because we're not shooting any more stuff.
0: Well, and that's an actor's life, especially uh, a character actor's life, is that, you know, you give it your best and 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 you've got a funny brain. So with with uh, if anybody knows, with Joel, you kind of get a writer along with a performer because you're adding little things when you're allowed to. And uh, but then you have to accept, too, that sometimes those things get cut, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, and you're no stranger to that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, I, al- I also want to say this is the second reference in this show. So I'm only like five weeks in and this is the second Mystery Men reference. Which doesn't make any oh. sense. Oh, okay. um, um, <laughs> but um which I I need to probably go back and watch because I there are parts of it I did really enjoy. Um, oh, yeah,
1: there's a lot of fun
0: stuff in it. The uh the he's terribly mysterious. Um <laughs> the so you roll on, you you've done a lot of things. Um, um I've been trying to hop through some of the stuff because you it feels like and I haven't been on all this I've done some sketches with you and and I've I've done some shoots with you and, and like, you're always plussing, you're always plussing up. Um, but not in a hammy way or a take over the scene way, but you're, you're just, you're real dependable. And, um, I think that's why, you know, you, you kind of got asked back a lot. Um, Oh, I have to, I have to mention Seinfeld. Like you're part of, um, comedy. You're part of a comedy history being on that show. And it's it's probably an episode that people who are Seinfeld nuts will, will remember.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Yeah, people uh, definitely bring that up. And, um, you know, I I look very different, so I don't get recognized from that. You know, and also that was (laughs) I I don't even know how many years ago that was, but it was a long time ago. Um, You know, so things change, but people find out and they're like, oh, yeah, you're the mechanic with the Twix bar. Yeah.
0: And, and people who know that will go,
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I know that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You're um, like, you, you go nose to nose with Costanza. It's kind of almost like a B story about who's going to get that candy out of that uh, vintage right. at right. the, yeah, uh, at the car and, dealer. Yeah, it's shop. a
1: great little story. And that was a fantastic uh, experience, you know, going on, on the set and being there and, you know, witnessing that group of people on this, you know, cause it was, I was on the last season, the ninth oh. season And, um, actually the week I was on was the week that Jerry announced it was going to be the last season that they were going to end the show. So there was all sorts of press and hoopla and just stuff going on. Um, but, uh, when I auditioned for that, I actually didn't want to get the part.
0: Why is Uh, that?
1: Yeah. Well, what was going on was it was like, it was an audition for Seinfeld. That's huge. The biggest show on television, especially comedy uh at the time and so it's like oh this would be really good but i was obligated to do this other gig with an old friend from orlando and it was a show that he and i had put together and it was just the two of us and at the same time that this was going to be shooting i was supposed to go do that but it was an opportunity so i was kind of like if i book this i'm gonna have to call andy and tell him I can't do the gig that, you know, I'm obligated to do. Uh, and it's going to be real difficult because he and I were the only, he was going to have to teach somebody the show in a few days. So my objective going into audition was to be good enough that they'll call <laughs> me back from some, for something else, but not so good that I actually booked the job. And I, I went into the audition and uh, Jerry Seinfeld was there, and producers and writers, and it was a room full of people. And my first line was just no, and I just put nothing on it, and just kind of went no. And Jerry almost fell out of his chair laughing because, it was, <laughs> uh, and I was like, uh oh, I think
0: I'm. <laughs> You're too funny, Joel. You're like, oh, I can't keep it in the box. It just, uh, it yes. just comes out of me. Well,
1: I think it was one of those things. If I had really wanted it, I wouldn't have gotten it. Because I would have put too much on it, but I think the fact that I was completely pan and putting nothing on it, and you know that's kind of the job as an actor is, especially when the writing is good, like it is on Seinfeld. It's just to kind of get out of the way and say the words and let them be funny. That's great. You know, you well, can, that's a great lesson. Kind of, oh yeah. Well, and you can tell if writing is good because if you put if you do nothing but just put forth the words as they're written and it's getting laughs, that's great writing. But if they're not, and you, when you start seeing people working really hard, trying, trying,
0: trying to make
1: something funny, that usually means the writing needs some help. Um, yeah. That's my experience, anyway. And, you,
0: and you've been on so many sets, you said that was a really special experience. I mean, I'm sure it's because it's Seinfeld that there's a a big value to that, but like how was how that experience on that sitcom set different than other sitcom sets? I mean, I, I'm genuinely interested in what made it special. Well, what it, what it was, was Jerry
1: included me as a guest cast. Usually you show up and your objective is to be pleasant, to work with, do a good job, be funny where they want you to be funny, set up the star uh, when you're supposed to set up the star, and then hopefully bring that character back. Uh, and, you know, when you're a guest star, that's kind of your objective. And just kind of don't be a problem. Don't be a problem. And right. The experience there, and I I had heard this and it was really true, um, was that Jerry Seinfeld really included everybody in on that creative process. So we ran, we were rehearsing the scene. We did it, uh, for the producers and writers, and then they were doing a powwow over, they're kind of talking about the scene. And then as a guest, you just kind of stay back and stay out of the way, um, And then all of a sudden I heard uh, Jerry saying, Hey, Joel, come here, come here. Yeah. We're talking about the scene. It's all working. We just feel like we need a little bit of a button at the end. We just need something that, you know, feels like it's the puts a button on the scene. And I was like, well, when we were doing it, I had an instinct of something I wanted to do. Can we just go back and do the last 30 seconds and I'll show you. And he was like, yeah. So we went back and what was written was my character, um, takes a bite of the Twix bar, he's behind a door that George can see through, but he can't, he has no admittance, only employees back there and it's locked. And so he can't get to me and I just take a bite of the Twix bar and walk away. Well, my instinct and what I did when we replayed it was I took a bite of the Twix bar, looked directly at George Costanza with a little knowing look and then walked away. And it was just this little bitty thing but I did that and it gave Jason Alexander something to react off of as George. And so he's like, "Whoa!" Oh! and he gets really upset. Everybody <laughs> laughed. And then Jason actually, after the scene was done, ran around the set, came over and gave me a big hug. He said, that's great. That's great. You gave me something to work with. Um, and and then everybody's like, yep, that's what we needed. OK, moving on. Wow. And, uh, so, but most sets you're on, they they would never ask a guest cast to uh have any input um so that is a
0: good that's a good day yeah oh it was a great day it was a great oh my goodness and that's not something you can like you know people meet famous people want to get their picture taken or they collect autographs or or you have an experience and you you journal it but that's something that's just tucked away in your memory and that that's a moment where you plused uh, pretty much a legendary moment it is a I, i the moment you're describing kind of makes the whole scene it like it is the button on it i can just hear jerry saying we just need a button we just need a button yeah. on this um <laughs> i just need a button yeah. um but that is that's just a great a great uh a moment that you have you have kind of spent your career plussing things and i want to get into kind of how you turned into a full-blown writer of television but um i just i i love that stuff where um you know, you're still setting up the star, um, right? You're, you're just, you're just making it better.
1: Well, yeah. And I, I, you know, I, I give the credit to, you know, the years of doing improv and I remember doing the scene and I just had this instinct of, I should give them a look, but that's not what was written. So I didn't do it. And so when they asked, it was like going, well, I, I had a different way I wanted to play it. Can we try it? And they're like, the fact that the fact that the biggest comedy star star of the time was like, Oh sure. To this, you know, guest cast guy who, you know, uh, that was my first, I I had done a few things, um, but that was once I got that on my resume, it opened up a lot of doors for me once I had Seinfeld on
0: there. Oh yeah. Oh, I'll bet. And, and, and honestly, I'm sure that those years of improv, all, all improv is is looking for opportunities and you, you find a little gap, a little opportunity to plus something or add. Yeah. Um, and so even though it's scripted material, that's your training that goes into it. And, and I know you as somebody who um, it's almost like you are an engineer. You're like a joke engineer. Like you can see <laughs> and we'll get into kind of your sitcom writing, but you'll be in a room with people. And I, I had a, a, a live reading of an animation, uh, an animated feature that I was uh, just about to start and uh you and some other actors and writers we got around and we read it out loud and i just remember uh one particular joke and i was pretty proud of the joke and and you said ah i, I see what you're doing but if you there was literally machining the words like micromanaging like if you just put this phrase first if you set up the joke with these words and then say this right and i was like, uh, I was like oh my gosh it is better and it was like you just like uh i don't know you just got under the hood of the car and just like Tighten the screws up and it was a better joke. uh, Yeah. Just a few words changed.
1: Yeah. I think it's one of those things from doing improv that was instinctual. It's like going, oh, you want to, if at all possible with your wording end on the funny word end on the punchline. So what is in this entire sentence, what makes it funny as a reaction to to what's just happened and you want to end on that word if possible. Now, sometimes sentence structure, it doesn't work out, but you want to get it as close to the end of your sentence as possible. Um, That's great. It's kind of of like taking
0: the fat away. Like you're removing, removing words almost. What was the first um, project where you went from actor to writer? Was that kicking it or was it before that? Um,
1: Well, you know, I'd
0: always done writing um,
1: because the company I worked with in Orlando Uh, we did a lot of um, corporate entertainment. We opened our own theater and we would write shows and do improv shows. But we also did corporate entertainment for like Delta Airlines, Century 21, Coca-Cola, Xerox. Because all these companies would come in and have conventions and conferences. And quite often they would want to hire an entertainment company. And from time to time that would be us. And then we would have to write uh, little sketches and jokes and intros um, and and sometimes be performing at those shows. So because of that, uh, I'd always written, but I never considered myself a writer until much, much later. Um, and then uh, also uh, we did a little bit of sketch comedy. I, I was more improv, but I did some sketching. So you write for that. Um, so I'd always just done writing. Um, and then in... I guess it was 2004. Uh, I was with my friend Kelly, and we wrote a show that was a musical parody of um, Fellowship of the Ring from the Lord of the Rings series. Yeah, we should and, really
0: talk about that for a moment. That's that's I, having seen it several times, and I know you've tried to, to get it actually on uh, Broadway, but it is good.
1: Yeah, you well, you can find that if you go to iTunes. I think if you put in Fellowship musical parody. Uh, or Lord of the Rings musical parody, something like that. It's, it's available out there and it's a fun show. Um, But that was like the first time I go, first time I thought, okay, I'm a writer because I wasn't in the show. Everything else I had written had always been, I was writing for me to be in whatever it was, the sketch or uh, the corporate, you know, funny sketch about, you know, um, the hearing aid company we were <laughs> do, doing these sketches for, we, we had some really
0: weird, uh, odd jobs doing that. What but was the weirdest? Well, what was the weirdest job on a corporate level? You know, a corporate client you had to create entertainment for?
1: Well, you know, it, it's, it was such an interesting existence because, One day is like going, oh, they're flying you to Vancouver, putting you up in the best hotel. You're going to be there for a week. You're going to do these sketches, you know, one sketch a day uh, for this group of people. And you get to do all the fun things that the guests that are part of this are part of and just be treated like royalty. And then I would fly back to Orlando and they'd say, oh, you're going to do the uh, grand opening of a strip mall with a Piggly Wiggly uh, tomorrow. <laughs> so you would just go from like the, the highest high to like, really, what am I doing with my life? I'm at the grand opening of a Piggly Wiggly in Kissimmee, oh Florida. Um, that is
0: a lot of ups and downs. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was a very, very interesting existence. Um, and and so, yeah, we had all sorts of crazy Thing you know, things that we do. I remember another, it was a grand opening for a housing development, and uh, it, it I, I won't bore you with the details, but it's just one of those that it was terrible. They had advertised that they had uh, the Sesame Street uh, Se- uh Sesame Street characters were going to be there live performing, and then we were also going to be there doing shows, and so we got there and said, Well, okay, I guess it's you know, they got. You know, the Muppets coming, so it can't be that bad of a gig. Well, we got there, and it was not the official Muppets. They had gotten some high school kids to go to the local costume rental and get something that looked like, you know, Cookie Monster or, you know, Big Bird. (laughs) My One memory from that was a mother walking away from where the Muppet show was, dragging her child and overhearing her say in this angry voice that's not big bird that's just a chicken in knee highs
0: <laughs> that's the title of your memoir yes <laughs> that's not big bird that's just a chicken a chicken and, and knee, knee high.
1: highs yeah and we got come on, to come on we're going
0: idea. get in the car yes it
1: was oh she was so mad uh hilarious and so that was just like one of those gigs that was
0: just a gig from hell
1: but then we would Yeah, that's right up there.
0: Like, that's like on, on Spinal Tap when they're like performing uh, with the puppet show. Oh, right. it should say Spinal Tap and then <laughs> Puppet Show. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes.
1: But, you know, that is so much show business because, yeah. you know, there's just these terrible gigs that you do. And then there's fantastic ones They're just, you know, that you, you'll remember all your life. It's like, oh, this was the best moment. But you also remember the worst ones too. It's like the two extremes even after i did uh fellowship the the musical parody um i i still consider myself an actor first and it's like but oh i can write and yeah. i also directed that show so i can write and i can direct um and i produced it um and not because i wanted to do those things but there was nobody else to do it so i had to if it was going to get done um wow. so i really consider it's like i can do those things but it's not who i am uh and yeah. then but the first time that i was really uh, you know, offered or paid, somebody else wanted me to write for something was, I was uh playing a character on a show called Kicking It on Disney uh, XD. Um It's now on Disney Plus. So if
0: you yeah. want to watch Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure plug. a lot of people, a lot, I'm sure a lot of people grew up with it now. Oh, uh, yeah. And may remember Bobby Wasabi.
1: That was the character. So yeah, I just went in and just a regular audition, audition for this part. Uh, of Bobby was hobby. Actually, the interesting I had worked really hard as an actor, um, because coming from you know, improv and s- sketch world, when I would audition, especially for movies, I would hear, well, we really like him. He's really funny, but it's a little broad for film. So okay. I had really worked to tone down everything and and have that, you know, realism. And then I auditioned for some Disney shows and I got the feedback. It's like, well, we really like him, but he's not quite broad enough. <laughs> um, so it's so it's one of those you go in. It's like, okay, I got to remember what I'm auditioning for and adjust. So anyway, I got this audition for this character, Bobby Wasabi, which is my all-time favorite character name I've ever had. Oh, yeah. And I had gotten that note twice. He's not quite broad enough. So I was like, okay, I am going to defy them to say I was not broad enough. So I went in. And I thought I blew the audition because I was so over the top. I was just like huge, you know, with this character. Um, and uh, lo and behold, they called me up and said, "Yep, it's yours. You
0: got it." <laughs> They're like, "Welcome to the Disney Channel." Yeah, exactly,
1: exactly. And like, have
0: you have you seen our shows? Your <laughs> eyes, your eyes can't get wide enough. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, and especially at that time, as a you know adult. Uh, on the show those they they were just stupid idiots basically if you were an adult on a disney show Um, Um. uh, my understanding is they've kind of adjusted that in here lately that they're they're trying to bring a different sensibility to it Uh, so i don't know if i get an audition for that i might have to do some research to figure out (laughs) <laughs> what the level is now. Well, anyway, it, it is it, crazy
0: because as a performer, you've had to. I've seen you in like procedurals where you were so dramatic and, and pulled down. And then this is like, you got to like run around the block once and, and, and I don't know what, sniff right. some coffee, sniff some coffee up your nose.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it would be exhausting being Bobby Wasabi because he is so big and over the top. Um, but I, I did an episode and, Within that, I did what I usually did, which was to, I would add a little thing here or there and, you know, or I would kind of, you know, try to, you know, add a little something while we're rehearsing. And if they like it, then they'd say, oh, yeah, keep it and and do that. And uh, the showrunner um, pulled me aside He said, you know, I don't normally encourage the actors to, you know, go off script and improvise, but you're actually making our stuff funnier. So. Yeah, keep going. Do that. I actually got. You're adding a little bit of wasabi on the top. Yeah, yeah, just a little. Yeah, just a little wasabi, just a little (laughs) spice. Um, And uh, so he gave me that, and and um, Kelly, who I'd wrote fellowship with, we had been dabbling in trying to write a, a, a kids show, and we had an idea. And so Jim, as the showrunner, talking to him and talking to him about writing and. I did another episode. And by the time we did the second episode, um, Jim came to me a couple of times with, for scenes I wasn't in, but I just watched them rehearse. And he said, Hey, this joke's not landing. Do you have any ideas? And I would pitch a joke or two and he took them and used them. Um, and so started talking about writing and said, Hey, uh, I've got a writing partner and we've been working on this show and it might be right for Disney. Um, would would you take a look at it and so we started talking about that and so he knew that I did some writing as well and it and had added to the scripts on set and then um a couple of weeks after that he called me up and said hey we have a um uh a writing position that's opened up what do you think about coming in and writing on the show um and I was like uh okay and at the time I also was financially, the industry had kind of changed and I was working as an actor, but I wasn't making the same money that I had had just a couple of years before. And it was like, I don't know if I'm going to pay my mortgage. So it really was for me, a answer to prayer uh, that this job opportunity came. And as a writer, you know, it, it was steady week by week, which I'd never had it. I've always been the guest star, the guy who kind of comes in for one week and then, you know, you audition and audition, maybe a month later, you book something else or maybe two months later, maybe a year later. Uh, so I'd never had anything steady. And so for me to have that weekly income coming in was just like, Oh, this is awesome. Yeah. Um, and I thought, well, okay, I'll, I'll do this for, you know, this, the rest of this first season and then I'll just go back to being an actor again. And then they invited me back the next season to write again. So, anyway, I ended up writing for four seasons on the show.
0: That's and amazing. Then, and, and that's just you just putting yourself out there a little bit and, and suddenly making yourself indispensable. And that show stuck around. It was pretty amazing.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, generally, the Disney shows would, their model is to do three or was at the time to do three seasons and be done and move on. Because, you know, they always had a new crop of kids coming in and they wanted the the, the shows to be, you know, kind of new for them. And it's like, oh, this, you know, this group of kids, oh, they they grew up with these shows and they watched it for three years. Oh, and there's, there's another group of kids coming in. And then those
0: kids go off to college and they're not interested in watching, you know, Disney stuff anymore. That is interesting that you're talking about like the audience just keeps growing older. And then you got yeah. ears and catch the new kids coming in. Yeah. Um, but then it's also kind of, um, there's kind of a, once you get into that network or that circle, like Jim went on to do other things and, and you, you actually were, you know, once you're in that group, the next show that comes along, you, you did get in on a couple other things.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. He ended up working on another show, uh, called gamer's guide to pretty much everything. Um, and so yeah, they brought me along and I wrote on that show as well. And, uh, on that show, um. I didn't, I, I, whereas with kicking it, I was also doing the, um, uh, recurring character of Bobby wasabi throughout the series. Uh, when it went over to gamers guide, um, there wasn't a recurring character or, you know, any acting role. So it really was, but I also knew how time consuming it was. So for the first time I was like going, okay, I'm not going to be doing any acting at all. I'm only going to be writing. Um, but, uh, that also led to, I, because I directed, I, I forget, one or two episodes of Kicking It. Um, and then I did a couple of episodes uh, of Gamer's Guide as well. And then ended up as a co-producer on the show. Um, oh, amazing. Kind of moving up. So, yeah, that gave me opportunities. Um, but then I was associated, uh, because I'd only worked with Jim, and, um, with them and uh, Jim kind of fell out of fashion with Disney for whatever reason. And because I was one of his, that it it kind of seemed like uh, Disney wasn't interested in me uh, for that anymore. Um, so, so it kind of went away at the same time uh, and ended uh, that, that, that part of it and uh, getting into a writer's room, being an older white guy also was not, as in fashion. And there were people with a lot more experience than me that wanted those same jobs. So it really was, I, I saw the writing on the wall. It's like, I don't think that's gonna, you know, pan out to do more of that. When I was doing both jobs, it was, it was exhausting. And I, I did get where I, I was like, um, I, I remember one time they had, uh, they were going to have Bobby Wasabi in three episodes in a row. And I was like, you got to take them out of that middle one because I can't do it. I can't, I cannot be doing it because it would, I mean, I would be worn out um, and it was hot. It was like the the costumes that they had, they didn't breathe. They were like some sort of weird polyester material. And I had on, actually it was two wigs to make enough hair. So they, <laughs> with between takes, if I wasn't in a scene they would take it and put barrettes in it and kind of pile all the hair on top of my head. And then I would take off the top layer of the costume. Uh, but then I would, so I'd have on like shiny pants and a black t-shirt with a mustache falling off and guy liner and all this jewelry and hair piled up on top of my head. So I looked like a freak. And then I'd <laughs> go in the writer's room And, you know, of course, I'm not looking at myself, so I don't really think about what I look like. But then the writers across the table would look at me and like, I can't take you serious right now. And uh, (laughs) that you're actually pitching a story idea. Um, You look like you live under a bridge in Venice Beach or something. (laughs) I did. I I don't know what I look like. There there are pictures that exist somewhere Uh, of that in between state that uh, are not a pretty sight.
0: And you became a, a very famous wizard on a show that I just, I love the title and I love the premise of Dwight in Shining Armor. Uh, and that show, man, that how many seasons did you do?
1: Well, we did five seasons. Uh, we were supposed to do six, but the pandemic hit. And so the, the last season they said, well, let's just do one and end it. Um, since we're shooting in the middle of a pandemic instead of trying to do two seasons, Uh, which made sense. And I think was probably a good call, but I I sure wish we could have done, you know, uh, one more season of it because I really loved working with, uh, you know, my, my, the cast that we had on that show. Um, And, and that was, you know, the the writing thing, it kind of ended with, with Disney. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to go back to acting and, there was uh, after the writing, it was like a a little bit of a dry spell. And then finally book that. And that was really nice. And uh, really my first time I'd been recurring and that, but this was the first time I was a series
0: regular. Um, and, uh, I mean, really one of the leads, I mean, what you're one of the four characters, one of the four core characters of that show. Yeah. Well, there's
1: three main characters. Uh, my character, Baldrick, who is the court magician, wizard type character. And then princess Greta, who he's, uh, my character is sworn to protect. And then, um, Dwight, who is the modern day kid who by fate is linked to protect her, uh, and wakes her up from the curse. Um, uh, so it's, it's two characters from 10,000 or a thousand years ago. Uh, it kind of like sleeping beauty if she had not woken up back then, but woke up in present day America. Um, and that's, yeah, it's a really fun premise. And um, I loved uh, the character and the, you know, the, the 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 actors that we got to work with. So just some great, great folks, some really good friends.
0: And, um, you, and you don't have to, tell but like talking about being hot on set or the condition uh, oh. on set or kind of, you. you it's funny because your character is sworn to protect this young character. But you kind of became um, kind of the mentor and the protector of these young actors. And and you told me how you realized I am, uh, they call it like uh, number three on the call sheet. There's, uh, I have a certain amount of power and a certain amount of responsibility to kind of keep the set uh, where it's safe and it's happy for these other actors.
1: Yeah, it really was an interesting experience because like I said before, when you're a guest cast, you just kind of want to show up. You want to be pleasant. You don't want to cause any waves. And so that's always been my attitude. Go be nice, be you know, easy to work with, do the job, do a good job. And then maybe they'll bring you back. But this was different because I am a regular, but also I was the only adult regular. The other two <laughs> regulars uh, were, you know, under, under age, were kids. Um, and because of that, uh, I really felt a responsibility. And early on, I, I failed one time where, the producers were doing this thing where they were asking the crew to continue working through their lunch, but they weren't going to pay them, you know, the extra and in front of everybody. It's like, is everybody okay with that? If you're not okay with that, raise your hand. Well, in front of everybody, it's like, well, who's going to raise their hand and be the troublemaker in that type of situation. And I had an instinct at that point to say something, but I didn't. And I, I really regret, I really shouldn't have done that because I know, there were crew members who didn't want to work through their lunch that wanted, you know, and if they did, then they should be paid this penalty. But, you know, it's like everybody kind of, because they asked in front of everybody, if they had asked, you know, individually or, you know, secret ballot or something, then people would definitely would have been like, and and I, I was in the position to say, Hey, that's not fair. That's not the right way to do this. Um, Or just
0: say, yeah, I have a problem with it Uh, because I don't think it's fair to everybody. Uh, Well, and this is a SAG show, right? Like, you're a SAG actor. Yeah. You know the things you can and can't do. and uh, But nobody wants to be difficult, as you say, even on a crew. Right. If you you look like you're difficult, you know, it's job to job for a lot of these people.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and we, at that time, we were shooting in uh, Utah in Salt Lake City, and it's a very small film community there. Everybody knows everybody. So, yeah, you cause problem on one set, chances are, there's you know, the producer is going to be working on this other show because the guy who did the producing produced almost, you know, I would say probably 90% of the productions that were done in Salt Lake City. And so you cause a problem, and then he's not going to hire you again. Suddenly you, you can't make make a living anymore. So everybody, of course, is like, okay. But I was in a position where I could say, Yeah, that is a problem. And I didn't that time, and I felt really bad about it. And I later realized you know, I'm in a position here. And then also some stuff that was going on with the kids where, you know, there we were shooting in really hot conditions. We were, we were shooting in an abandoned bread factory in Salt Lake City. And, you know, the sun would get really, really hot, but there, and there was no air conditioning inside there. They had a couple of swamp coolers that they would turn on, but it just made it humid in there. It didn't really cool things off. So, uh, ultimately it was like, look, you've got to get, um, you know, especially Princess Greta, she was uh, Caitlin Carmichael, the actress, she's such a talented girl, but she, she was running around in this, you know, armor suit, uh, and, and Sloan played Dwight, he was supposed to be dressed for the fall, so he had on like a sweater, and they were in this back corner of the bread factory where there was no air, I was like, look, you got to get air conditioning back there, and they had gotten an air conditioner, but they didn't have hose long enough and and so it's like and we had had several days where it was really hot and i had had to go it's like look look take that hose that has the air conditioner, and as soon as they yell cut you need to point it in the room we're in under these hot hot lights you know and then when they say action take it away um and you know it, it, but but it really took me kind of cracking the whip to get those things done now it, it should have been it shouldn't have been my responsibility but because nobody else was doing it i had to and number one i was hot but also you see the other actor and we had stunt people you know just doing flips and all these incredible things and it was i don't know it, but it was like a hundred degrees in there and it was making stuff difficult for hair and makeup my beard was sliding off my face um so it was just <laughs> delaying things and anyway i but I, I i found it's like look i gotta stand up um to just uh, to, for some of these things and for you know guest cast and actors and younger actors and it, it was just a really good lesson it's like going hey when you're a regular on a show especially the only adult regular you have a response to your cast and I I really took a big change for me to go from okay I want to be nice and pleasant and easy to hey this is not being done right do it right or we're not coming on set um, yeah. and it was it was an interesting I never thought I would be that person but then I saw oh I really need to be it's important
0: you yeah know? yeah well good good for you I mean that's I mean it's it's tough to know when when you're gonna push the boundary and set it down firmly and and, and you kind of knew what was expected and and even your experiences on very uh, seasoned shows it comes from the top down it comes from the fine uh, yeah. people to create a great place where people are happy and they make good stuff. Yeah. Uh, And uh, I I have to back up just a little bit because I wanted to, you've been in uh, uh, several pilots that have been just wonderful things. I mean, (laughs) I I have a lot of pain and suffering where I I have seen a lot of scripts and a lot of pitches and a lot of, I've seen a lot of beautiful artwork that never got made into a movie. Yeah. Joel has made things, finished entire TV shows that never see the light of day. And those are called pilots. Yes, you've done uh, Alligator Point, right? Yeah, that was with Nathan Fillion before he was like super Nathan Fillion. Um, And then there was the Funkhausers, which I guess, I mean, I would describe because I saw the pilot as somewhere between the Goldbergs and the Adams family yeah
1: oh that's a great description
0: there let's go pitch it again um but the and and it had a lot of actors that you you played the dad but you acted with simon helberg who went on to do big bang theory right um but my my big get from that is the guy who directed the pilot i would love for you to just give me a little snippet about that
1: oh yeah well you know when that's another one that i think i got because I didn't think I would get it. So when I auditioned, I was really, really relaxed. Um, I was too young to play the part by many, many years. And so when I auditioned, I was like going, okay, there's no way they're going to cast me in this. I'll just go in and have fun for the audition. And at the first audition, um, it was produced by, um, uh, uh, Oh, uh, why is his name just left me? Um, Penguin from Batman.
0: Um, <laughs> The penguin from Batman produced it. Yes, that's that's dirty money, Joel. That's from Gotham City uh, underworld. Um, Danny DeVito. Yes, yes. wow oh, I was going to say Burgess Meredith, but I think he's too old to be producing. Right,
1: right. No, not Burgess. Uh, yeah. So Danny DeVito was producing it. His company was, and he actually originally was supposed to direct it, uh, but then the schedule changed. So I went in and auditioned, and it was probably my favorite audition I've ever had because I did it and Danny DeVito was sitting there in this you know big leather chair uh, and he had on sunglasses inside he was watching (laughs) and I did like the first couple lines and I heard him (laughs) just kind of laugh back there that Danny DeVito laugh and then a couple more lines (laughs) kept laughing and so I just kind of kept going and he laughed all the way through and then I finished he looked at me he pulled his sunglasses down and he gave me the hang loose sign, and went, <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: that's I was like, a, that's, that's, that's so Danny DeVito of him.
1: Yeah, it was a, it, my favorite reaction I've ever gotten from <laughs> from an audition. And so I walked out, was like, oh, that's great, but they're gonna realize I'm too young for this part. But I went back in, I don't know, a bunch of different times, and then timing, schedule, network stuff changed, and it got delayed. It got pushed back. The shoot got pushed back by a couple of months and now Danny DeVito wasn't available to uh, direct it anymore. He was still producing it. They said, I can't direct it because I'm obligated to go do this film. And uh, so then they said, well, we'll find some other director and who they found was the Frank Oz. Um, there you go. Yeah. Uh, who Who's directed just some great stuff, but also, you know, The voice of, you know, or the puppeteer from the Muppets with Miss Piggy and Sam Eagle and, you know, uh, all these great characters I'd grown up with. And then, of course, the voice of Yoda, uh, you know, which that's awesome. Uh, And then director of of great movies like Little Shop of Horrors, which is one of my favorites um, that he did. Um, And just one of my favorite movies, not even that he did. I just love that movie. And so getting to work with him, that was a thrill
0: um and and he's kind of sensitive about like pulling out those voices and those characters but then you got on his good side (laughs) this yeah this is one of my favorite moments so yeah before we
1: met him the producers and writers they kind of pull us aside look it's frank oz people ask him to do the voices all the time please be cool and don't ask him to do miss piggy or yoda or anything like that and so we're like okay and so anyway we ended up working together for uh, i guess about three weeks um and we were shooting in vancouver and it was the last night of shooting we worked together we gotten you know we'd hung out we'd gone to dinner and so i felt like i knew him a little bit better obviously by this point so it's the last night of shooting and we're and we're doing this scene and the way he liked to direct and it's an awesome thing and i've i've taken it whenever I can, is you do the scene and then he pulls the actors away one at a time, where it's just the two of you talking. And he would say, OK, do the scene again. But this time, you know, I, I really want you to, you know, feel empathy and be really, really, really sympathetic towards this other character who's going through this thing. And then you go back and then he would pull the other character aside and tell them something. And the great thing as an actor is you never knew what direction he was giving other people. So when you do the scene again, everybody would slightly adjust but it really kept you in the moment because you didn't know what people were going to do. And so it kept your reactions, you know, really fresh and you're genuinely being surprised in a scene with another actor um, because it's like, Oh, they're doing something different. I wasn't expecting that. And so I really, really appreciated the way he directed. So it's the last night of shooting we're doing this scene and uh, Simon Helberg, who played my son, uh, is being made fun of by some of the patrons at this grocery store where we both work. So, and then I go over and defend him. So we did the scene, we did it um, a couple of different ways. And then he pulled me aside and said, okay, well, we've got the scene. We're good. Let's just, we're just going to do it one more time. And I think let's just have a little more fun with it. And this time when you get onto those people for making fun of your son. I want you to be really angry. I want you to scare them. I want you to really get in their face and, you know, be angry. And I was like, Oh, Frank, I I don't, I don't know if I can do it. I just don't know if I can do it unless Yoda tells me to do it. (laughs) And he kind of sighs, uh, rolls his eyes a little bit and then looks at me and goes, angry you will be yes
0: (laughs) there was no try i did not there was no try only do that's a great that's a great story and just the fact that i don't think i've ever realized that you like hung out with him for three weeks and had dinner with him and like what what a luxury to To have those memories with him.
1: Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, he told me some great old stories uh, from the Muppets, you know, with him and Jim Henson before they were famous shooting a commercial in Texas. And they got stuck in a barrel and they broke for lunch and forgot to tell them that they were breaking for lunch. And they were in the barrel the entire time and they couldn't get out. They spent (laughs) their entire lunch break. Trying to get out of the barrel, they finally got out, but their arms and legs were all, you know, asleep from being crammed in there. And by the time they got out, they said, "Okay, we're back." And <laughs> they missed their lunch. So it was just great hearing, the, you know, him talk about some of that stuff, and then shooting the Muppet Show and you know uh, other movies and things he had worked on and things he had that were upcoming. um Yeah, it was a real
0: thrill to work with him. Um, that is like, you know, there there are a lot of highs and lows to a, to a career this much money here but i didn't make this much money here i was in front of a piggly wiggly opening up a grocery store um but then there are things that you can't really put a price on like that i got to hang out with Frank like i haven't even touched on the fact that that you that christopher guest directed you in some commercials so you got to yeah christopher guest and improv and he's kind of like the maestro of improv documentaries now yeah it, yeah, I mean it was uh th- th- that's another one that
1: he is just one of my all-time favorites, you know, this is Spinal Tap just one of the all-time great things and and working with Christopher Guest yes, was great. The first thing I did with him is actually a scene that got cut out of um Best in Show, but it is on the DVD. It's on the deleted scenes. And he told me later it's like it's a really funny scene I wanted to use it, but You know, he had a very strict rule about those movies that they are 90 minutes and not a second longer because he said this kind of comedy gets old after 90 minutes. Um, And I was like and and that was a good thing to learn. It's like, yeah, yeah, this this kind of thing, it has a window and then it's like it gets to be too much. Um, And so so he said is we really tried to keep the scene in there because I think it's funny. But he said it just made it too long. So uh, but it is on the DVD. He needs to scene.
0: uh he needs to call up Judd Apatow and tell him that. Yes. Yeah, um, he really does. He does. That's very true. Uh, well, I, I know you you've you've been really generous with your time, but I I, I know that uh mention maybe if you want to mention what you're you're working on now, but I, I also would love I love for my guests to end with a story. And I don't know if you've got a good story for us. You've told us so many so far, but I don't know if you've got one more in you that you're saving. I do, I do.
1: I, I I've got a great story. This is the story of, and and, and the story in itself is like, going, oh, that's a great little story. And then there's a little addendum at the end of an attachment to it. But it's the story of the longest sustained laugh I've ever gotten. Um, (laughs) And it's the longest I've ever seen anybody get. And it was years ago, opened up this theater and we were doing a show called Fun with Science that was scripted, but the entire cast were all improvisers. And so we regularly went off script and were encouraged to do so. And the audience came to kind of expect that. And we had people who would come back repeatedly because they said, well, it's never the same show twice. There's always something different and fun. So this one night we're doing the show and at this point it, it's, it's a hit show, it's doing well. We have a sold out crowd. And about halfway through the first act, there's a moth that starts flying around on set But it's just above our heads and it's bouncing around the stage lights. Uh, So we couldn't reach it to get it, but it's just up there bouncing around. And if you were quiet, you could hear it bumping into the lights up above there. And it would just like kind of plink, 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 (laughs) plink, 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 around the stage. And it was very distracting. And because we're all improvisers, we would ad-lib jokes about that moth. And then... Uh, That was funny, and then we would go on and do the scene, and and then the moth would appear again, and uh, anyway, as the first act went on, towards the end of the first act, it got where it wasn't so funny anymore, and it was just annoying, and we're seriously trying to catch it, to kill it and get it off the stage, because we're losing the audience, and the audience is annoyed by the moth, we're annoyed by the moth, but we can't get it, it's just Anyway, we go to intermission, we're like, oh, we're kind of losing the audience here. That damn moth, somebody's got to catch it. So people went out to try to catch it during intermission and get rid of it. And they came back and said, we can't find it, but it's not on stage anymore. So it's gone. That's the good news. We start in second act and we're kind of out there. Okay, we're starting to go again and it's working. We're getting the audience back. Okay, we're back in a groove. Um, We're about halfway through the second act now and it's working again. The moth has been gone. I'm backstage, I played uh, about 12 different characters, but there's a moment in the show where I played this one character who was a German uh, foreign exchange student named Klaus. Uh, And two of the characters are on stage, they're talking about my character Klaus, and they say something snide and kind of laugh about him. And at that point, there's a panel on the back wall of the set that I would open up, stick my head through, shake my fist in the air and then yell German gibberish cursing at them and then slam the panel shut. And it was just like a little, almost laugh
0: in moment. Yeah. I was going to say laugh in.
1: Yeah. And uh, you know, we'd do that. And, and it was just like a a, a funny moment that that would happen Well, I'm backstage, ready to go. I'm dressed as Klaus and uh, I hear them doing the scene. They're coming up to the point where I put up the panel. And just before that happens, I look and in the backstage blue lights, there's a little something fluttering straight towards me. And it's that moth. And I, in slow motion, it seems like I reach up and gently cup it in my hands and form a fist around it. I have captured the moth. I have it in my hand. (laughs) And I hear them say the cue line where I open up the panel. So I open up the panel and where i normally you know, shake my fist at them and yell and made up uh, German I just raised my fist in the air and I opened it and the moth flew out of my hand <laughs> straight <laughs> up to the lights and just started going pink 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 pink, 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 pink. <laughs> flying around well the audience just started laughing and because the moth just continued to be out there and it was such a bizarre thing that would happen uh, that the laugh just kind of kept going. The actors then are catching, uh, you know, starting to catch it, tried to continue the scene, but the laugh just kept going. And literally, I I wish there had been a, a, a stopwatch, you know, somebody timing it, because it was minutes and minutes and, you know, that kind of time on stage. But it, it, it was it definitely at least five minutes of just laughter and it would start to die down and then the audience would start laughing again it just was like wave after wave after wave um <laughs> and so it became this story of lore uh, at, at the sac theater in orlando um now that's the story of the moth incident there's an addendum to it yeah. that there was this kid named blake uh, at the time he was a kid, I think he was in, in high school and he was a volunteer at the theater and our volunteers, they would come and run the box office or concession stand, whatever we needed done. And then they could stay for the shows for free. And they would usually come to the, you know, the the scripted show. Uh, and then we would do late night improv shows after and they could, you know, be there for the night and hang out. And we had our regular volunteers that were there almost every night. Blake was one of them. And that particular night, he decided to go do something else. And he was like really torn. He was like going, oh, I'd really rather go to SAC, but there's this thing. I guess I should do that. Ultimately, he he decided to go do that thing. It was to go see, uh, I think a, a friend's band play somewhere or something like that. So he went and did that. And then the next night he came and everybody was talking about the moth incident. It's like the one night I'm not here. I, I missed the moth incident that everybody's talking about. So <laughs> you cut to 15 years later in Los Angeles, Um, I'm living out here. Blake is now out here and he's a very successful photographer. He takes uh, uh, headshots, photos for, for actors. And, and I went to see him do that. So it was at least 15 years after the incident and we're sitting there talking and he he told me, said, well, yeah, I've I've got this girl I've been dating. We've been going out for about two years. And the other night she was, we were talking about the fact that I lived in Orlando. She's from Seattle. And, when I was in high school, that she took a family trip to Orlando and they were there. And she started telling me about the different things that they did there. And she said, well, the last night we were there, we went to this little 200 seat theater, downtown Orlando, and she proceeded to tell him about the moth incident. No, He was there the night that he missed And then they ended up dating her from Seattle, him from Orlando in Los Angeles, had been dating for two years. And then they finally had this moment where they shared the story that she was there. And he
0: said, I'm still
1: mad at her. The fact that she was there (laughs) the night of the moth incident. Wow. They
0: missed each other by one night. And uh, somehow, somehow the moth had something to do with it. I don't know.
1: I don't know. I don't know. But it's just like you start figuring the odds of. Somebody from Seattle being in Orlando that time, then 15 years later, they date for two years and then find out that, you know, she was there this night that he had uh, regretted for years and years going to that's see us. That's crazy.
0: I know. That is hilarious and then crazy. Like It's so, odd. Twilight it's so weird. Yeah.
1: I know the odds of that.
0: So that's why. Wow. My... Did they get married? I hope they had like a giant moth in the ceremony. No, they actually broke up because of the moth. <laughs> what <laughs> no i no they
1: they didn't get married i don't think um i don't know i've kind of lost contact with blake i haven't talked to him in a while he mo- he's moved away and quit doing photography uh, or, or actor headshots anyway um so i i'm not sure
0: uh i think they did break up um
1: wow i'm not sure but i don't remember
0: do, do, do you now say well i got a laugh today but it wasn't moth. <laughs> Laughter. Yeah, <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't a... like. Uh, yeah, it's like Klaus's revenge where you hold yeah. out a moth.
1: Yeah, yeah. uh It it was one of those where it's like I'll, and I know I'll never, get, a sustained laugh that big ever again, and and I don't know if anybody ever has fantastic. since.
0: No, that's fantastic, and uh, you, you you have the moth to thank. He was like your scene partner.
1: Yeah, well, and it's just crazy. I was backstage just waiting and looked up and he was just flying straight at me and I didn't even think about it. I just, it was just an automatic reflex. I just reached up and grabbed it gently in my hand and I had it and there was just a moment of what am I going to do with this? And then I heard my cue and I just, I had freed it back on stage uh, before I knew I had done it. It, it just was one of those uh moments where you're kind of in the zone and it just kind of all happens and you're realizing it's happening as it's happening
0: well this has been an incredible uh, night of storytelling I really think or day of storytelling whenever you're listening to this <laughs> um, uh, it's been i i just I'm hearing things I've known you for a long long time and I, I, these are stories I've never heard um is there I, I want to wrap up because because uh, uh you know you you give me a lot of your time but do you have uh, anything you're working on now that's exciting that, that people could look for or just what, what do you, what do you look into now in the future here?
1: You know, I'm, you know, since Dwight, uh, in shiny armor ended, I've just been auditioning and, um, it's, it's, a it's, it's a time of adjustment, I, I believe within the industry. So kind of finding my place right now, I'm, I'm just kind of open to, uh, whatever's next. And I don't know what it is or what it's going to be. Um, and, uh, I, I'm working on a couple of things that actually aren't in the industry, just another business idea, uh, that I think will be probably my focus for the next little while. Um, but you know, I, I'll always continue to, uh, audition and, and, you know, act and, and, and do things. So no matter what else I'm doing, um, well, so yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of in. I'm doing some, I'm writing a couple of, uh, you know, theater pieces, um. That's great. And so Yeah, just working on this and that and just kind of looking for what the next uh,
0: next chapter is going to bring. Well, you're looking for that opportunity to seize, just like back in the day. That's right. Uh, I hope you know it when it floats by. And, um, you know, I'm always rooting for you and looking for you out there uh, for, for the next thing you're working on. But, boy, thank you for talking to me today on the show.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, well, you know, the one thing is they do keep talking about Princess Diaries 3. Oh. And I keep hearing rumors, uh, but nothing's come through yet. So I, I, I hope. So I hope that that will
0: happen. That's I can't that's believe kind of... I can't believe we didn't even talk about Princess Diaries three, uh, or, or Princess Diaries that we didn't even talk about how you you did two movies of that with uh, Miss Anne Hathaway, who I, I've uh, worked with. And uh, yeah, that's right. Let's hope. Let's hope. You know what was the name of the country? Genovia. Let's hope Genovia rises again.
1: Yeah. Well, next time I can tell you some 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 uh, princess diary stories. Oh, that we
0: got to have you back now. There's just you got you have too many stories packed inside you. <laughs> yeah, I got to
1: I got to leave you wanting more.
0: That's not big bird. That's just a chicken in knee highs. Can we get t-shirts made that say that? all proceeds go to Joel McCrary that's not big bird that's just a chicken in knee highs and if you show up to some place and you see a chicken in knee highs you you know this isn't worth this isn't worth coming to i mean sure they got an improv group but they got a chicken in knee highs uh, <laughs> who is grover just like a guy in a blue hoodie I can't imagine. I want to thank my guest, Joel McCrary, and I want to thank you uh, for being here. And I hope you were inspired and you laughed a lot. And, man, I, I apologize to Joel, and but, but we were already over an hour. We didn't even talk about the Princess Diaries. He has so many stories about that, working with Anne Hathaway and legend Gary Marshall. And we didn't even talk about Thor. Joel's part of the MCU. He's in the movie Thor, and he's a pivotal role. Once again, he takes this small role, but it's pivotal. So we're going to have him back, and we will talk all about that. And and in the meantime, you can go watch Thor and see if you can find him. Um, And until next time, I just want to say I'm Corey Edwards. And hey, you know what? Thanks for stopping by.